0: You're listening to Their Auto Be A Law, the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by me, Anthony Simina. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has worked to make cars safer. Hey everyone, thanks. This week we've got uh, two special guests coming back to the show is uh Phil, <laughs> Phil Copeman. He is the associate professor at Carnegie Mellon. He is the essentially the expert in autonomous vehicle safety, I think it's fair to say. And William Wyden, who's a professor of law at University of Miami School of Law. So welcome, guys. Hey, thanks Thank for you. having us back. All right. Well, so I want to start off. Here's the scenario. Let's pretend I get into a robo-taxi, and I'm going down the street, going my very way, and there's Michael out on the sidewalk. And my robo-taxi hits Michael. Who's at fault? Am I as the passenger? Does Michael get to sue me? Does he get to sue the robo-taxi company? Or do I just, you know, tell the robo-taxi, <laughs> oh, just keep going? Uh,
1: well, first, is this the Piggly Wiggly parking lot? Oh, or are we out on the public <laughs> Thank you, road?
2: Phil. Thank you.
1: We're <laughs> yes. we out on the public road. I'm And I'm making mm-hmm. jokes because this is hypothetical. It's not a real person. Yes, this heard. is
0: not a, a real scenario. But it. It gets to the the question the the main reason we I think we want to talk to you guys today is is who's at fault like who's who's the responsible party inside an autonomous vehicle. And the serious answer is what state are you in? Ooh. Uh well right now I guess I'm going to say California cuz that's really the only place these are on the road. Or Arizona, I guess. But Arizona, let's say California. There's
1: trucks there's trucks on the road in they're on the road in Texas. There's trucks on the road in uh um, Arkansas, I believe, and maybe Oklahoma. Okay. And, which, which state uh,
0: would you like me to be in?
1: Well, well, one of those. I think you throw the computer in jail.
3: Uh, oh. I think that was. I think that was Oklahoma, and in Washington State, there's proposed legislation that, as drafted, would say that it's the ADS, the automated driving system, that's the driver. And it's hard to know for sure what a court would do with that. But it looks like it's putting liability on a cyber physical system, which is not a person and has no assets.
0: Wow. Okay. so
1: (laughs) get right into it. (laughs) I I think the the shorter answer is it's complicated. So it's good we have some time to hash this out.
0: (laughs) So, I mean, it has the when that happens right now. So the the case of the, the cruise vehicle dragging somebody. I mean, Cruz didn't cause the initial accident, but the secondary accident of dragging somebody underneath their car. They did. So who, who's the responsible party in that case? Does anyone know?
3: Well, if you took what Cruz has said in conversations and what was admitted in this case of Nielsen v. GM. Cruise, as a company, takes the position that their vehicles owe other road users a duty of care. And so if the cruise vehicle drags a woman uh, and a human driver, had they done that, would have been liable for aggravating her injuries, then Cruise would, in theory, be liable for those injuries because they would have been caused by what we would call a negligent computer driver okay uh and in the cruise vehicle i think it's important to assume i think it was the case there that it was unoccupied at the time and it was owned by cruise, okay because you raise the issue if you're in your own vehicle and it hits someone you could have a theory where the owner is vicariously liable for any accidents caused by the vehicle after they hit the button which says go autonomous that would be the worst possible outcome from having a system that promotes safety because the person who owns the vehicle has no control whatsoever over the safety of the system. They're not able to influence it. The only party that can influence the safety of the system is really the manufacturer or the the developer of the ADS system.
1: So I, I want to go back to the details of cruise because it's complicated. But Bill, are you telling us that the mechanic who pressed the go button that morning is on the hook, potentially?
3: Well, that would be potentially. Although the way that the people have been drafting the laws in some states would suggest that it's the owner who has responsibility to maintain insurance. And so if they've maintained insurance and if you had specified what it took to make a claim under the insurance, which the laws don't do, uh, then you could have a scenario where the insurance would pay. But then the question is, if the accident exceeded the policy limit, who's responsible then?
0: Wow. (laughs) Okay.
1: okay before we yeah. move on yeah so by the time this airs, I will have a preprint paper with a very detailed recounting of the cruise incident uh based on the the official report they made public it's a couple hundred pages um in the high level narrative is one thing and if you look at the details you come up with an answer that's a little bit different. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm not gonna try and do that paper here but the relevant thing here is that, the cruise robotaxi accelerated towards a pedestrian in a crosswalk on the other side of the intersection before any impact happened. And we're talking about an eight mile an hour speed increase. So it was moderately aggressively accelerating towards this pedestrian in its travel lane, in a travel lane that was in a in a marked crosswalk. Yes, the pedestrian is crossing against the light. Uh, and the, the cruise said, its cruise prediction was, I'll oh, she'll be gone by the time I get there, so it's cool, uh, And um, the, but if you look at the relevant California rule of the road, it says that when there's a pedestrian in a crosswalk in front of you, you're required to slow down and or otherwise reduce risk. So it didn't do that. Now the, the driver of the impact vehicle, the Nissan, was cited for violating that, that uh, rule, r- 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 um, rule of the road. Uh, there's no mention in the report whether the cruise av was cited but you can't actually cite a robo taxi in california so you know who knows what there but i'll let i'll hand this off to bill in a second <laughs> in addition to the dragging where they were the report admits that a human driver would not have dragged the pedestrian because they would have said where did the pedestrian go before they moved the car it's very clearly in the report there's a second issue that you had this car apparently violating a rule of the road by accelerating right into a pedestrian because the car thought the pedestrian would be out of the way by the time the car got there. That worked for the cruise. It didn't work for the Nissan, because another thing buried in the report, the reason that poor woman stopped in front of the Nissan was not because she stopped for no reason. There was opposing traffic, and she was trapped in the intersection. She was trapped in the crosswalk. So the Nissan driver could say, well, I was accelerating towards her because I thought she'd finished crossing the street and she couldn't because she was blocked. What if she had run back towards the curb? Oh the cruise God. would have left itself without enough time to stop because it was accelerating into a dicey situation. And you have to ask, well, gee, you know, is that responsible driving? And the fact, well, the the apparent fact, not not a jury, so I don't know how that would turn out, but the possibility, the probability that it was violating... You know, a California traffic roll by accelerating towards a pedestrian in a in a crosswalk might have uh made it a, a worse outcome if the pedestrian had run back. This is counterfactual, if the pedestrian had run back and the cruise had hit her as she was trying to flee back to the curb. So there's actually two different things going on with that crash, both of which are issues for, for the cruise vehicle behavior, not just the pedestrian driving.
3: Right. I would say one thing that's interesting about compliance with traffic laws. I mean, first, uh, if you're violating a traffic law in a way that the traffic law was designed to prevent harm, then you can have what's called negligence per se. And if you hurt someone in the process of violating a traffic law, there would be either conclusive or strong presumption that you're liable for that. Okay. I would say consider a while back, remember when Tesla was, I think it was Tesla was doing rolling stops at stop signs. And they decided, apparently, the programming team had decided that that was okay. In fact, that mimics actual human driver behavior, but it actually also violates a traffic law. And I believe that they were called out for that and they were supposed to fix that. So the question is, Clearly, in the programming, if part of your charge is to have a vehicle that obeys traffic laws, uh, in this case, it didn't, right? And it resulted in it resulted in harm. Uh, now, who could you say was responsible? And Phil, I'll ask you a question. Uh, there was some issue at one point about whether remote uh, monitors had given an instruction to the cruise vehicle when it was pulling over. Do we know whether that occurred yet or not?
1: Uh, yes. And and to be clear, I'm assuming that everything in the report is hundred percent factually correct, but almost certainly presents the most favorable possible face on, on the facts, which, which right. I'll get into in the paper I'm writing about. There's some, there's some, some threads you can pull that, that it gets interesting when you pull them, but that's another discussion. Uh, the cruise robotaxi, they say it braked aggressively, but it didn't actually start braking until a quarter second. so the aggressive part didn't happen until after impact. It could have it could have actually braked it could have braked soon enough to not have hit the pedestrian at all. The report says that you know, Sir Isaac Newton says they could have avoided the impact, including brake application delay, but they would have had to react instantly, like you know, at computer speeds. Uh, but they didn't uh, because they lost track of the pedestrian. Uh, is is what happened okay so, can, so can I back, i'm yeah. sorry
2: for interrupting can i back no, you up ahead, just friend. a second because yeah. you've talked about duty of care but what is it what does that exactly mean is that got a legal definition or is that just something that should be obvious from the plain english language
3: well it, duty of care is a term that's used in tort law to create an obligation on the part of a person to behave as a hypothetical reasonable person would behave and so when you say you have a duty of care you are to try to take into account in your actions and behavior the welfare of other people and property and if you behave in a manner that's considered unreasonable as a matter of law then you would have negligence okay the often what people say when they're applying a negligence standard generally is you have to take those precautions which are economically sensible okay so if you were the least cost avoider and could have done something to avoid a harm and the chance of the harm was a certain percent and if it occurred there would be a a loss of a certain size, you can do a calculation in theory and say, oh, well, you really didn't behave in an appropriate manner because it would have been so easy for you to have taken this precaution. Now, on top of that, you have a duty to comply with the traffic laws. And if you don't comply with the traffic law, you can be liable per se, and you would have violated a duty to the other road users by violating the traffic law, which you were supposed to comply with.
2: And so, so you always you always have a duty of care to conform to traffic laws, and any violation is subject to per se liability. Is that what you what you're yes, saying?
3: Yes, generally. Although when you look at the traffic laws, in some instances, they do make exceptions for situations. For example, if a tree had fallen across a road, and you had to go around the tree to avoid the obstruction, that's the sort of thing that that might well be permitted under the rules of the road in a particular state, right? Uh, And even if that were not spelled out in the state rule, uh, if you look at the matter of enforcement by police, police would not enforce typically a violation for going in the wrong lane by going around uh, an obstruction. Yeah, A lot of this has to do with
1: a lot of this has to do with what's reasonable. So in the the cruise crash, the question is, would a reasonable person have reduced speed when they saw a pedestrian about to get hit next to them? And and I
3: would say, right, would a reasonable person having hit the pedestrian then continue to drive for another 20 feet uh, at a certain speed to get to the curb? I mean, the, the vehicle was executing... Uh, I think a minimal risk maneuver or something of which, that sort, which is a
1: which is a complete misnomer. Yeah. To to answer Anthony's question, so so this it did stop aggressively, but the aggressive part didn't happen until milliseconds after the pedestrian impact because it pricked late. It did come to a stop for one tenth of a second, and then it started again. So so it was actually swaying back and forth on the suspension, but they they marked a time where the sprung mass was at zero. That's actually what they said. Sprung mass was at zero. And then a tenth of a second later, it takes off on the MRM. It connects to the remote assistance within five seconds, but that's five seconds too late for them to do anything about it. Uh, And what it should have done is it should have recognized, I was just in a collision and I'm not sure where that pedestrian that used to be around and I don't even know what I hit. I didn't undifferentiated occupancy of the roadway. What say I stop and wait for the remote assistance to weigh in before I start moving around? Uh, but that's not what it did. It took off one t- one tenth of a second after it stopped.
0: So in this case, the remote assistance, that's the that's basically people sitting in an office somewhere monitoring all the uh, That's of these cars.
1: Cruise, the cruise remote assistance team who I I believe based on job ads is in Scottsdale, Arizona. But they're in for Arizona for sure. And I think there's a job ad in Scottsdale for them. So it's probably there.
0: Okay. So uh, is there someone sitting in Scottsdale, Arizona? There's a car accident in San Francisco. Right.
1: And the car (laughs) apparently initiates, it has a, hey, something, I just collided with something. And it initiates a phone home sequence and and, uh, squirts a, a, a three second video saying, hey, guys in Scottsdale check this out, this just happened, what should I do? But it doesn't wait for the, what should I do. By the time that's done, it's already taken off.
0: And this is not like the air traffic control system where these people are highly trained and they're monitoring planes throughout their entire flight cycle. Well, well I can't speak to the training. Okay.
1: They did not. Well, I can't speak to the training, don't know. The, uh, the people back in San Francisco did not follow their procedures, but we don't know what happened in Scottsdale. There's remarkably little discussion of what happened there.
0: Do we have any systems. idea if they're monitoring uh, a car throughout its well, entire journey or no? Uh,
1: it, based on the narrative and the reports, they're waiting for it to phone home. Now, they may have a status board where the vehicles are, no info on that, but it, there's nobody. there's nobody riding shotgun. There's no continuous video feed. It's a very much a, if something bad happens, the car phones home and they'd say, okay, what's going on? These cars are on their own. These cars are on their own until they ask for help.
2: Well, even if there were a continuous video stream, you've got latency that's going to cause a delay of response longer than the time that was programmed for the vehicle to begin moving again. Does yeah,
1: it, with real time, it would have been dicey, but but you know, an attentive operator had... At least three seconds from the impact with the other other vehicle to the cruise, so they had enough time to press a big red button if they were attentive. Uh, but but then then you can't scale because you can only look at so many video screens and scale attentive. But that's not what they did. Both they, Cruise a and Waymo, have said, uh, you know, have told regulators that they do not remotely drive. In um, the the implication, especially in Cruise, it's apparent that that the cars are on their own until they get in trouble, then they phone home and if the car can handle knowing when it doesn't know, that's fine, but the problem here was it was completely misdiagnosed the situation and had no
0: idea it had done that. So it didn't phone home, it just took action. Imagine if the air traffic system was like this. (laughs) Like, there was no one monitoring it and just, hey, I think I have a problem, there might be another plane nearby, let me call somebody. Yeah, the (laughs) FAA has a plan for that, but it's not in place yet.
3: I mean, I think the remote, operators under current technology and with latency would be most valuable if a vehicle had stopped, let's say, in the middle of a road and wasn't sure how to negotiate its way to the side of the highway or another safe place. It could then get input to get out of the way of perhaps first responders or avoid some obstruction. Um, but it's not really designed as I understand it for real-time intervention.
1: That that's right. And that's that's what Cruz was trying to do. But the problem is if he doesn't know to phone home, you've got a problem. And that. that's exactly what went wrong at and for at least part of this.
4: Right. And and a lot of that depends on whether Cruz has internet connectivity that day, right? <laughs> uh,
1: we won't even get into that. Yeah, lots of the, um
4: there. so kind of going back just a little, so we don't know a lot about you know what's happened with the, the victim of this cruise accident. I mean, I'm presuming there was a, a settlement, a non-disclosure agreement. We don't know. But well we um, we do know what we do
1: know, we know is that she it was not a fatality and she's reported to be doing
4: better. Good.
1: That's all lined up. That's all I've heard.
4: And so, in that circumstance, you know if if there's not a settlement, if 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 the injured party you know, needs to seek legal help to go out and you know file a lawsuit against Cruz or you know, whatever whatever needs to be done to make that party whole after an accident. There are there seem to be significant barriers to doing so, um, and and that really comes up big in this area. That, that it seems like the law is just not quite ready for automation and a lot of the really complex technical issues that it poses.
1: Well, let me start with the techie version, and then I'll defer to the to, to Bill for the legal side. So so Fred's question about duty care duty of care is central to all this because. If uh, if there's no duty of care, um, then you probably are talking product liability, which is expensive, very difficult, and and frankly, if there's no, if there's anything less than a catastrophic life-altering injury or a fatality, then probably there's just no way you can even pursue that unless you get a lucky break and the the circumstances are so obvious that a jury is going to rule in your favor. You, know, you can't you can't crack open the source code and do reverse engine, you know, engineering analysis. It just, any potential settlement w- wouldn't begin to pay the expense of doing that. Uh, but if you establish a duty of care, the reason that's magic uh, for this situation is a duty of care means you can bring the tort law system into play. And for tort law, you don't have to reverse engineer all the software. And good good luck reverse engineering machine learning. I mean, maybe, but it's 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 going to be tough. Um, you don't have to reverse engineer. You could just say, look, let's pretend that's a human driver. Would that human driver have been acting recklessly? Yes. Well, then it doesn't matter if it's a computer. You know, reckless is reckless. Uh, and so so that's it. So duty of care is saying we're going to judge the computer driver by the standards we would have used if it were a human driver you don't go you don't take a human driver and and reverse engineer their brain and ask why they did the, the stupid thing right <laughs> and and so you shouldn't have to do that to robotaxis. taxis if you have if they have a duty of care for safety of other to other road users the same as a human driver you can just say well Did they behave a way a reckless human driver would have behaved? Yes. Okay. well, then it's their problem. No engineer is needed.
3: Right. You would have as typical a fact finding to try to determine what happened. And so that would be true either in the case of a computer driver or a human driver. In the case of the computer driver, with the information that Phil has from this initial report, you could describe exactly what happened. The acceleration when a pedestrian is in the crosswalk and the dragging and how quickly it moved to the side and all of these things. And the question would be, okay, let's take those facts as given. Right? What would a jury think? If a human had been in that position and someone else had initially hit the pedestrian, right, would you think it was reasonable or not that the cruise vehicle, if it had been driven by a human, would have hit the woman uh, and then on top of that aggravated the injuries by driving to the side? And if a human driver would be criticized, for that behavior and found negligent, we would then say, oh, okay, if the human driver would have liability, well then the computer driver should have liability. And then the question if the computer driver has liability is who is responsible for the computer driver's breach of the duty of care? The computer driver is just a cyber physical system. It's not a legal entity and it owns no assets. The logical person to be responsible in that case would be the manufacturer. In this case, it's easy if it's the manufacturer operator and that would be Cruz, right? Um, And so a jury would just decide, was it negligent or not? That's effectively what the claim was in Nielsen v. GM, right? The cruise vehicle who was changing lanes, it hit a motorcyclist. The motorcyclist was injured. The motorcyclist brought a claim for essentially negligent driving against GM. uh, That case ended up getting settled. But in the response to the complaint, GM admitted that the vehicle owed other road users a duty of care. And once you see that, a little light bulb goes off and says, oh, okay. well, that makes it easy. I can collect for an automated vehicle accident uh, without having to prove a design defect which requires the hiring of expert engineers to identify and trace a design defect as a cause of the accident
0: so let's step back for a second so i, I wanted the impression i could be wrong that right now computer drivers robo taxis legally can get away with a little bit more than i can as a human driver because if. If I was the well, human driver that ran over a woman, dragged her, and then lied about it to the police, at the very least, I don't imagine I'd have a driver's license anymore. Well, well you can't even give a ticket to a Robotex in California at the moment. So so, so they, they literally, they're, I mean, not even above the law. They're, they're just exempt from the
3: law, it seems. You know, the law is not evolved to deal with this complexity.
0: Well, it it sounds like in California they exempted them from it. It's not even that it hasn't evolved. It no, says, no, they didn't. They didn't exempt. They, okay. It wasn't exempted.
1: It's okay. because the law is written that a ticket goes to a human. There's no human, so that is like now. Nah, what do we do? We don't know. Uh, so it's it was not an intent that that state is not an intentional exemption. Now there's other states where where the AV industries come in and written new laws that say, yeah, it's not the company, it's not the operator, it's the computer, it's the computer's fault. That one was just proposed in washington that one's passed in a few states it's the computer's fault uh, and and you might say that makes no sense it's unconstitutional for the state and it might be but whoever wants to assert a claim against the company first has to go to the state supreme court and get it ruled unconstitutional before they can do anything else so what you're doing is you're raising the barriers you're putting a big moat around the ability to make any claims beyond insurance, which in some states is as low as 25000
3: Right. What the, what the companies would like to do is create a world, and it's difficult, right? If you're dealing with an owner-operator that's running fleets, you can say, okay, the owner-operator ought to be responsible. But in a world where uh, third private third parties own a vehicle, let's say, a Mercedes in Nevada or California if you're a level three vehicle, uh, what they would like to do if they could get away with it would be to say, okay, the computer driver isn't really a thing. Uh, It's the the ADS, the automated driving system is the responsible party, and the owner has to maintain insurance, which as Phil said could be as low as 25,000 in Washington, they were proposing 5 million, which still is not enough, but it's- And that's the more, top,
1: most states are less. Most states are a lot right, less. Yeah. Right, right.
3: Uh, but then you would you would uh, presumably make a claim against the policy if you were injured. But one of the, the defects that I pointed out in testimony to Washington was we don't really understand what it would take to make out a claim with the insurance company right would you have to say that in fact there was a design defect before you can claim under the policy or would you say that there at that point invoke a computer driver idea and say well it behaved negligently um, or of course, there, there's
1: no legal support, so you're you're breaking new ground if you want to make right.
3: It or I suppose you could say that you're absolutely liable for any accident, but but that doesn't make sense either, because there are some people, you know, the the problem of suicide by automated vehicle, where someone who is distraught jumps in front of a vehicle that couldn't have been avoided by anyone, right? It wouldn't make sense necessarily to have strict liability for anyone in that uh in that scenario and so they just but you you have to understand that uncertainty in the law benefits the companies because it makes it much more difficult to assert a claim and successfully prosecute it for anything like a reasonable sum
1: as a non-lawyer a lot of what i see state by state amounts to well is indistinguishable from companies wanting to make the law not make sense as a barrier to entry, that you have to you have to pull out your machete and and whack through that that vegetation before you can get at justice. Right. I, One.
0: Go
3: ahead.
0: No, I'm just. Laughing. I I just think you you just graduated law school with that statement. There you go.
3: Right. But let me give you a good example of technology creating a problem for the law. Okay. Uh, in an era before we had electronic documents and electronic signatures uh, you had a statute of frauds which for certain kinds of transactions to be enforceable required that you had a piece of paper with a physical signature on it uh, in order to prove your claim for example in most states, all states, that had a statute of frauds, a real estate transaction, a sale of property, would have to be evidenced by a writing that was signed by the party against whom enforcement was sought. Okay, Now, the law at the time that that was developed was I don't know, the 1600s and you didn't have computers, electronic or anything. And that law had been on the books for hundreds of years. Now enter PDFs and electronic documents and electronic signatures. There was a question in the law that came up was does an electronic signature and electronic document satisfy the statute of frauds? Because it's not, is it really a writing? Well, we don't know. It's electronic. We've never faced it. So what the law would typically do in a case like that, the common law, by case, by case, by case, the judges would reason through what the right answer should be. And you could get, in that common law process, you could get multiple answers in you know different states. That became such an untenable uh, outcome for business That businesses uh, lobbied for and got federal legislation and state legislation. Uh, One is the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act, which specifically stated that an electronic document, electronic signature would count for any time you needed a document. And so they, technology created a problem that the law hadn't thought of and wasn't equipped to address. And then legislation went into place because business said we need the certainty and you ended up with a statute passed. What we're saying, and we have articles where we give sample language that's sort of a proof of concept, is shouldn't you do the same thing with uh, automated vehicles? We don't have a system where the law clearly applies, and so let's pass a statute that says, hi, there's a computer driver, manufacturer's responsible, and this is how it works. And uh, But the industry there doesn't have an interest like they do in knowing whether they have an enforceable contract. They don't have an interest in making their liability clear.
1: To, to simplify that, the big idea ideas. Um, so by the way, as an aside, it never occurred to me that I would be a co-author on a law journal paper, but here I am. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. <laughs> um, the, the proposal is to say, is to say, just like uh, electronic signatures had to be made like real signatures or else too much stuff would break and you'd have to reinvent a lot of law. We can reuse the law just by saying, hey, you know what? Electronic signature, yeah, it's a signature. All the rest of the law applies. The proposal is to say, hey, computer driver, you know what? The business about reverse engineering and trying to prove a design defect is going to be so burdensome and cumbersome that for 90 plus percent, I'm gonna say even 99 plus percent of the crashes, it just makes no sense. I mean, it ran a red light. Why are we here talking about source code? It ran a red light and hit someone. We're kind of done. That's a hypothetical crash, by the way. But you know, <laughs> right. if that if that's what you know, it ran right. a red light, why aren't we done? And the answer is just like electronic signatures are real signatures, we're saying a computer driver should just be a driver. Everywhere it says driver, computer driver counts too. And computer drivers are held not to perfection. That's not what we're proposing. Computer drivers are held to the same standard as human drivers for better or worse. That won't guarantee better safety, but it takes care of the vast majority of things so so we don't have to completely break the legal system to deal with all this stuff. And then whatever's left over, then we have a discussion. But well, why wouldn't we wanna solve the 95, 99% of the problem the easy way? Why make it all
0: hard? And the answer is, because making it hard benefits the car companies. So I do want to get to your jurist.org article where you guys get into that, but something you just said about the the computer driver, and you you guys mentioned this in a few different things you've written. So uh, like a human driver, I had to take a written exam. I had to take an eye exam. I had to take a physical road test and prove all these things. And then years later, my driver's lessons expire and I had to go do it again. Um, computer systems don't have to do this, why not? Are you proposing with these computer drivers do they have to take a, a road test? Well, 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 so let me let me add something you
1: left out because okay. it's one of my favorite talking points, right? There's something you left out of that process. You had to show a birth certificate to, provi- to, to right. prove you're a human, and there's a whole lot of stuff that comes with being a human about being able to reason about what happens next in the world that that machine learning is pretty bad at. Uh, so don't underestimate that, that hurdle. That's actually the biggest problem. We don't know how to do that for machine learning. We don't have a, a maturity and reasoning about the world test. And that explains a lot of the bad things you see happen. But, but to get back to the question, in uh, every law, state law, I can think of that I've seen that I recall anyway, the computer automatically gets a driver license.
0: It just gets one. And what happens when they decide to upgrade the software or hardware? License is
3: Still automatically good. renewed. Good. Well, well. I mean, you just get the new one. Right. The, the way that they do, like in Florida and other states that are very permissive, they just say that automated vehicles can be operated on the roads.
1: But well, some of them explicitly said a computer driver is considered to have a license. And now in right. California, they need an operational permit, but that's an operational permit, which is a little different than a license. Right. But most of the states, the law says, either proposed law or in many states, the past law says if you're a computer, you automatically get a license full stop. Because
0: even in New York State, I had to, I had to, I got a real ID that upgraded driver's license ID uh, a couple of years ago. They made me even take the eye exam again. And I'm like, I have LASIK. You guys have records of this. Like my eyes are good. They're like, yeah, read line five again. But and, and with computers, drivers, that software is updated constantly, constantly. Well, they, oh,
1: Anthony, they have sensors.
0: <laughs> and the sensor again, then again, a and rack, it,
1: a rack full of LIDARs didn't prevent uh, a cruise robot taxi from slamming in the back of a bus right in front of it. So but they have sensors. So I, you know, I, I have sensors
0: and they fail sometimes.
3: Yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's just a huge gap in the law if I want to license a car, I have to have insurance okay and so in that sense if I have an AV I would have to get insurance there's some overlap in the requirements to be on the road right for an AV but they there's no competency test
1: yeah I would characterize them as they have administration requirements you you have to have you have to have uh I'm going to be generic here, but there has to be a number for the police to call if there's a problem. Do you have to have insurance? You have to register or get permission or get a permit or have done enough testing to convince California DMV that they should give you the next permit. But none of those things equate to what any reasonable person would consider a driving test. Some folks say there should be, Missy Cummings says there should be a vision vision test to your point about eyesight. Uh, But it's the companies just you know, we have this thing called self-certification. Uh at risk of pressing one of Fred's buttons. Uh we have this thing called self or maybe it's Michael. I'm not sure which one. It's
4: all it's uh, all of us. <laughs> it's all, all three of you.
1: Anthony two, I'll include yeah, you in you know, yeah. you know, we have this thing called self-certification. Self-certification to what? Uh, nothing. Self-certification to whatever. Uh, you know, they decide they're ready to go and they can basically give their own car a driver license with no requirements no technical and no safety requirements placed on it other than they think they're good to go. That's where we are.
2: You know, let me jump in here a second. It seems to me that the courts often defer to uh, industry standards to determine what's reasonable. And, you know, there's a bunch of groups out there like SAE. There's the International Standards Organization. There's the United Nations, European something-something, that UNECE that develops standards uh, that are accepted across Europe. And don't think it these...
1: well, Fred, you're on that committee.
2: Yeah, I know. Uh, but uh, so go ahead and blame me. But anyway, all these committees are, are staffed by engineers. And the engineers who are staffing them are typically employees of the companies that are developing these technologies. Uh, isn't it, is it to me, that seems like a huge gap that, you know, that's, that's part of the problem that a lot of these reports and documents are put out by the organizations and people just defer to them and say, Well hell, it came out it came from SAE. It's gotta be good stuff, right? Even though if you look under the covers, it says this report is not intended to be used by actual human beings for any reasonable purpose. It's not a standard, it's just a you know, a list of words.
1: Well, that's, so that's the Saj thirty sixteen document you're talking about, Fred. That's the levels. Whereas the other standards are supposed to be real. To be clear, uh, let let me unpack the standards for a minute. Um, you have some. You have Saj thirty sixteen, which in the fact I can rattle these numbers off often. Question causes me to question my life choices, but J thirty sixteen defines the levels and some terminology and it is explicitly not a safety standard. So of course that means that the federal government and all the states adopt it as the only standard they talk about and, off, and I've heard it be referred to by bill sponsors as an NSA safety standard, which is completely incorrect. In fact, it's an unsafety standard because it does not require obvious safety things for some of the levels like driver monitoring is not required and uh, operational design defor- enforcement is not required for level two, but I will, I will not go down that rant. But the other standards, you do have actual legitimate safety standards that would be good if adopted. Uh, um, ISO 26262, which applies to all cars, Uh, ISO 21448, which applies for anything with driver assistance above, and UL4600, which is specific to autonomous vehicles, including heavy trucks. If the companies were to follow those standards, they're not a magic wand, but they would really help safety. And every other industry I have I know of that's not consumer goods, so aviation, rail, medical, uh, industrial controls, they all, scary petrochemical plants, they all follow their industry standards, but the automotive industry, especially the AV companies say, no, no, we're, we have special snowflakes, they don't apply to us. Now, internally, I know the engineers actually do look at the standards, but their public messaging is, nope, 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 they don't apply to us. And the federal government's not making them follow either. So so we have this gap. You're right, Fred, that they have these standards, and the industry's not following them. Now, NHTSA, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, proposed in December 2020, hey, advanced notice of pros rulemaking, hey, what say we make the industry follow their own standards that they themselves wrote, as as we heard? It's the companies writing these standards. And that's been gathering dust since December 2020 with no motion. That's where we are.
3: Right. And I would add that it's not just for deployed vehicles, but for the testing of vehicles, there's a standard for safety drivers, J3018, which companies could follow, which would require a safety driver if you're testing a vehicle. And one of them
1: them did follow. One of them did follow.
3: Argo. Argo Argo AI followed it and they got third party certification from TUV suit, as I recall. Uh, or uh, conformity to uh, J3018 Uh, and I think they're not in business anymore, but no other company that I'm aware of says that they'll test in accordance with J3018. So you have a problem with deployment, but even before that, you have a problem with the public road testing. So the standards
1: are there mostly? You know, it isn't that there are no standards; it's that the companies don't want to follow them. Now, now, other places, supply chain in the auto industry is pretty good about conforming to ISO 26262. But if you read the safe publicly available safety reports, uh, especially the the one from Waymo, says, uh, "Yeah, we read the standards. We're going to do, you know, we're informed by them, whatever that means. We're going to do our own thing." And and all the other companies have have a similar playbook.
2: But I haven't right. seen any of those standards defer to or acknowledge a duty of care. Is that, you know, do, do they that's just not exist what they're in, about. in parallel they're not universes
1: somehow? Yeah, that's parallel universes. They they all deal with absence of unreasonable risk, which is sort of a parallel universe to duty of care. Right.
3: So I want right. to you
0: know, jump back a little bit. So, Bill, you mentioned in Florida that there's no requirement for getting an autonomous vehicle on the road. You can just get one on the road?
3: Yeah. Okay. I mean, you're in Texas, a lot of these places, what they want – is they do another thing, too, which is at the state level uh, for added protection, they'll say that you can't have any local legislation that would prohibit someone deploying an AV. So that all the legislation will have to be at the state level. What they're worried about is that and I think they ended up doing that Phil in Pennsylvania, among other places, where there's a lot of AV companies uh, headquartered uh, what they don't, they're worried to death that in an urban environment, you may have more, let's say, liberal or democratic uh, electorate who would favor more regulation. They need to test in urban environments because they're more complicated and it's much easier to to develop a vehicle that can go in clear weather down a divided highway and follow the white line. Uh, But they don't want to be shut out of the cities. And so the way you deal with that is to preempt any local legislation from dealing with the operation or deployment of an automated vehicle. And so they try to neuter the, the local governments and at the high level, at the state government, have either limited or no requirements to put an av on the road. This is the same playbook they used for ride
1: hailing. You know you, you get so, you get whoever's on the transportation committee who doesn't live in the cities and you lobby them, however you lobby we're not I'm not going to get into that. You know, you lobby them to um, pass a law saying, yeah, autonomous vehicles bring jobs and economic opportunity. And and I'm sure the safety box is checked. Safety because reasons. Okay, let's move on to jobs and money. And uh, yeah, anywhere in the state. And we don't want anyone interfering with these great jobs uh, in economy and, and lobbying. So cities, you're not allowed to do anything. And we pass a state law and that's it. That happened in Pennsylvania, it happened in California. And this is why San Francisco was so beside themselves upset that the companies were coming in, you know, acting like, you can't do anything to us, we're gonna do whatever we want. And they were right, because the state law saying the city couldn't
3: really do anything. They couldn't even give them tickets. Right, now one thing that's important as a matter of legal theory, There's a lot of people who would say, look, we don't need a lot of complicated regulation because what the tort law will do is incentivize people to make safe products. Because if they don't make a safe product or incentivize people to behave reasonably, because if they don't control their behavior, they will end up having liability because they will lose a lawsuit. Okay. One reason that we like duty of care with manufacturer responsibility is it streamlines the ability to put an economic penalty on a manufacturer or a developer, which in a perfect market would induce them to produce a vehicle that was safe enough. But the moment that you make their liability unclear, so they don't have a financial incentive to develop the safe product, uh, they may well fall short of what's necessary. They might decide as a business matter, they're prepared to pay for a certain number of fatalities or what have you. Um, and they think that that's, that that's fine. So the, if they've even ruined the default rule that would otherwise create the incentive to develop a safe product. But let me back
1: up and unpack a, a buzzword there. So tort law this is the non engine this is the engineer speaking tort law is when you harm someone by not acting reasonably they can come after you for compensation that's the simple simple version
3: right
0: if you'd yeah, like to find right. out more about tort law you can go to the tort museum online oh boy so i want to i want to cut off today's conversation here we're going to go into recall roundup in a second uh thank you gentlemen i'm i know you'll be here with our, with our following episode which uh, hey, if you want to know how the sausage is made, we're gonna start recording in just a minutes. Uh, but before we do that, Fred, do you have any interest of like moving to Florida with me? And we both, you know, worked on circuit boards. We can create our own robo taxi company.
2: I think we've already done that, have we, Anthony? We're, we've I've, we've been bought and sold by big AV or big. Do you, who who has bought and sold us? I can't remember. I, I don't Remember think I that money one of the one of those uh, spam bots that came out. <laughs> big big auto, that. that's it, big yeah, auto. We've great. been bought and sold by big auto. Uh,
0: I'm going to jump into some recalls. How's that sound? Strategy hey, there's a company the called Tesla, auto. and they recall 2.19 million vehicles. Uh, or as some people like to say, if you're a Tesla fanboy, it wasn't a recall, man. It was just some like thing that happened. This is pretty much every car they've ever made, so I'm not even going to list out the model years, makes models. Actually, it is every car they ever made, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and- yeah,
4: including including, you know, the the first recall on the Cybertruck.
0: Oh, that Cybertruck, so ugly. Uh, this was a, a visual warning indicator whose letter font size is smaller than 3.2 millimeters, one-eighth of an inch, as prescribed in Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards number 105 and 135 could reduce driver's detection of it when illuminated, increasing the risk of collision. Now, this just strikes me as just being lazy, like RTFM like how how did the their engineers just not be like oh wait there there's actually a manual here that says use this a little bit less cognitive load for me i don't have to think about it
4: that's yeah, not it's not it's even nasty. a manual it's you know it's the code of federal regulations it's it's in the the safety standard that you have to have a font of a certain size so that drivers can read it um It only happened in one specific mode of the vehicle. Um, I think it was to do with parking and braking. Um, But, you know, it's, you know, once again, shows that Tesla is not being as um, strict on itself when it comes to adhering to federal standards.
2: Yes, and for those, of you've got to hire a human being who's actually go, who's actually going to read the standards, and then has the authority within the company to make the company adhere to those standards. That's not Tesla's way of doing business.
0: Hmm. For those of you playing at home, even Tesla refers to this as a recall. Uh, moving on, Honda uh, potentially seven hundred fifty thousand vehicles, this twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty two Honda Accords, Honda Accord Hybrid Civics. Uh, Civic 2d 4D, 5d huh, interesting. it's almost everything it's yeah it's it's a lot of vehicles the 2020 to t- current vehicle year 2022 vehicle year this is pages and pages of stuff so this is in the event of a crash the frontal passenger and knee airbags may deploy despite the despite the presence of an occupant uh and uh basically despite the presence of a child being there uh, in which case the airbag should not go off and so right. this it seemed that they uh, their their tier one manufacturer of these circuit boards had a problem. So they said, let's go to the second guys. They produced something crappy and no one tested it.
4: Yeah, um, well, it's it, it looks like what this is, is the occupant sensor that determines the weight of the person in, in the seat so that the airbag doesn't deploy as aggressively for people of smaller stature, smaller weights to avoid injuries. You know, we saw a lot of aggressive deployments in the 90s and that's something that that the occupant uh, detection systems, they're attempting to decide how big the human in the seat is so that they can deploy the air bra- airbag at an appropriate force. Um, and what it looks like happened here is, you know, they had a, a tier, Honda had a tier one supplier, one of their main suppliers who's supplying the sensor to them. Um, using parts made at a tier two supplier, um, which is basically the supplier supplying the supplier and that tier two supplier, I'm not sure where they were and I'm not sure what this was, but there was apparently a natural disaster that took out the tier two suppliers ability to produce these, these, um, material for the circuit boards, and when they moved to a secondary supplier to replace that one the secondary supplier um, allowed whatever material they're producing didn't work it, it led to cracking of the capacitors, short-circuiting and essentially it ruined the ability of the vehicle to determine how large the human in the seat was and so when there's a crash the airbag is deploying you know at at full speed essentially and and threatening you know small women and children who might be in the front seat
0: well good thing autonomous vehicles don't use circuit boards or sensors or anything else that can fail. anyway hey uh thanks again to our guests uh, Phil Copeman and William Wyden, and they will be back for next week's episode.
4: Bye, Bye everyone. All right, I'm going to hit stop. Myself. Goodbye,
2: thank you. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.